Proverbs 26 and Proverbs 27. That's a little joke because I'm a little crunched for time a lot of the times. And to, uh, I always used to, my office used to be up at Coffee Tree Roasters and there's always three or four pastors there every weekend and their hairs, you know, up and they're stressed and all that sort of thing. And they always would say to me, now, what are you preaching on this Sunday? And me and my smart aleck answer would say, oh, the next chapter. And uh, they would go, oh, okay. They, it sort of went over their head. But uh, that's the beauty of going chapter by chapter. You don't have to stress about what you're going to do next week. But after this week, we'll, uh, you know, shift gears and go into Christmas mode and, uh, um, uh, and we'll do that. But tonight we're going to continue in Proverbs 27 or Proverbs and start at 26. And I want to read you something as you look at Proverbs 1 to begin. As you look and you remind yourself, do you know in Psalm 53, it says the fool, raise your hand if you want to be a fool. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. That's what it says in Psalm 53. And then in Proverbs chapter one, it tells you how not to be foolish. (laughs) Here it is in verse seven. It's the key of the whole uh, book. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. That's where you base everything off of. It's the foundation that you build on. So if that's true, and it is, you and I better find out what the fear of the Lord means. Because look what the rest of it says. But fools despise wisdom and instruction. And there's a lot of uh, commentary on what the fear of the Lord is. Of course, it's a reverential awe, A-W-E, and respect For the Lord. But I love, and I'm going to put this up. It's a really long quote, but oh well, here goes. From G. Campbell Morgan. These guys were nice enough to put this in there because I just sprung it on them about 10 minutes ago. But listen to this. If wisdom is perfect in God, G. Campbell Morgan writes, wisdom in man consists in the fear of the Lord. You ready for this? Because a man is wise in the measure in which he apprehends and fears God. This is so incredible. I never thought of it this way, what he's about ready to say. Fear in the sense in which it is certainly used in this fundamental declaration does not mean a cowardly, servile dread. Is that how you say servile? Is that right? Okay. Uh, Which strives to hide from God. That's not the fear we're talking about, G. Campbell Morgan says. There are two kinds of fear possible in regard to God. There is the fear lest he should hurt me, Now listen, there is the fierce lest he should hurt me, or there is the fear lest I should hurt him. Ever thought about that? The first is selfish and produces no fruit of righteousness. The last is the fear of love, which produces holiness of character and righteousness of conduct. This fear of the Lord is emotional recognition of God. Do not let us be afraid of the word emotional. The emotional side of man's nature is as much a creation of God as is the intellectual. The emotional fear of God then is the answer of the soul in wonder in the presence of infinite wisdom. That is preceded by intellectual apprehension of God and consummated in volitional submission to his will. Wow. You ever thought about the fear of the Lord as a fear of hurting him? Oh, my. And so as we move through uh, uh, Proverbs 26, and that's where we are, 
That's what we're doing here. We're learning to be wise and asking the Lord to help us to be wise. Who here came into a difficult circumstance in December yet? You have been in a difficult circumstance yet in December? Okay, well, give it time. And the Bible says you and I can have biblical wisdom that comes from James. Or we can use our own wisdom and that comes, it says demonic, but you know, can be worldly wisdom and it always is about self and selfish. So we're going to turn there, uh, chapter uh, 26, and uh, I want to remind us that uh, over in chapter uh, 25, there was this thing called an inclusio. An inclusio is a literary technique that puts something at the beginning and something at the end uh, that states what the literature is about. And here in 25 now, it says, is the glory of the God to conceal a matter, but the glory of kings to search it out. And then look in verse 27. Uh, it's not good to eat, eat much honey, so to seek one's own glory is not glory. And then now move over to chapter 26, and the word fool <laughs> is going to be used in chapter 26 in every verse except verse 2. One commentator writes this about this portion of the Proverbs. The catch word, or excuse me, the key word, uh, fool, occurs in every verse, except for verse 2 and 26. And the catch word, kabod, or glory or honor, links this proverb to the preceding one, because I just read you, the inclusio, okay? Get it? Everybody with me? Uh, where it formed an inclusio. One must neither seek the glory that belongs to God and kings, nor give glory to fools. That's what this section is about. One shouldn't seek the glory that belongs to God and kings, that's 25, nor give glory to fools, that's 26, 1 through 12 especially. And so as we move here, look, the first... <laughs> The first 12 verses here uh, talk about what a fool is. And I don't know about you, but uh, when I walk in the flesh, maybe same with you, I can be foolish. And I want to walk according to the Spirit, not according to the flesh, uh, don't you? And, uh, uh, and to navigate this life, giving glory to the Lord. And in all things, including my work and my... Um, and my uh, hobbies and my entertainment and uh, my, uh, you know, worship life and everything in between. Giving glory to God, not being a fool. Well, it starts out this very peculiar verse. As snow in summer, how often does it snow in western Pennsylvania in the summer? Does it? Does not. And how often does it rain in the harvest time? Well, if you're in Israel, that's a little different. So honor is not fitting for a fool. This is a really dramatic verse that you and I sort of don't get. It's like uh, snow is good, but it's not good in summertime. You get what I'm saying? It's out of place. It's uh, uh, It doesn't fit. It ruins the harvest. And uh, so as snow is in the summer and rains in the harvest, look, so honor is not fitting for a fool. There's 
no honor in being foolish. You get that? And what makes somebody wise again? It's fearing the Lord at all circumstances, in all, all of life, in all places. It's that fear in a good way, uh, that thing that you don't want to um, uh, do anything that the Lord doesn't want you to do. Get it? And it's constantly with you. So you don't do something inappropriate at the wrong time. Anybody ever put their foot in the mouth? Yeah, right. Me too. I have a story about that, but I better not tell it. So I'll just move on. So like a flitting sparrow, like a flying swallow, birds, so a curse without cause shall not alight. You know, there's oftentimes, and you know, when you're, anyway, there's weird things that happen when you're walking with the Lord, when you walk according to the Spirit. People, there's just odd things that happen sometimes. And even people can come and, you know, curse your church or curse you for doing this or doing that. But the Lord here says there's no place to land that curse unless there's cause. So curses without cause won't land anywhere. Don't worry about them. Don't let that stress you out. And then you get into chapter or verse three and it says a whip for the horse and a bridle for the donkey and a rod for the fool's back. Uh, force is the only language, power, strength, worldly power and strength is the only sort of thing that registers with a fool. How much money can I make and can I dominate you? And I got to tell you, that's the way I was raised, man. <laughs> I thought that was just American dream stuff and I was doing right and I wanted to do all of that sort of thing. But the Bible says something way different. That a rod is for the fool's back. And this is really interesting. Watch this. Do not answer a fool according to his folly, except for, look at the next verse. Oh, lest you also be like him, except for look at the next verse. Answer a fool according to his folly. Uh-oh, the Bible's contradictory. No, I don't think so. Lest he be wise in his own eyes. Don't answer a fool according to his folly. Don't respond and don't argue uh, with a fool in certain circumstances, especially according to their foolishness. Now, I'm going to give you a little example, and all of you know it. You remember in uh, Numbers when uh, the uh, Israelites are out in the wilderness and they're, what are they doing? Oh, there's no water. There's no food. Moses, no water, no food. And guess what Moses does? And it costs him dearly. Moses responds to them according to their foolishness because the Lord said, speak to the Israelites or speak to the rock and you're going to get some water. And guess what he did? He didn't do that. He got angry like they were angry, struck the rock. You know the story, but remember the ramifications and consequences? He wasn't allowed to go into the promised land. Joshua did that now. And that was because of that. Because Moses answered foolishness with foolishness but there's another example of chapter uh or excuse me uh, uh verse five answer a fool according to his folly excuse me verse six um where is it i'm lost it <laughs> lest he be wise in his own eyes he or got well you guys are really good <laughs> that's funny 
Well, anyway, uh, there's an example of answering appropriately the folly, and you all know it. Remember in the first couple chapters of Job, uh, man, Job had it. Didn't he have it? He had a tough go of it there in the first couple chapters. And, uh, you know, the most precious person in the world to him sidles up to him and says, you know what, Job, uh, I think you should just curse God. And not only do I think so, I want you to curse God and die. And Job says, that's as a fool speaks. No, we wouldn't do that. Uh, let's embrace the difficulty and let's never curse God and praise him. Job answered, not that wives always are foolish, but she was uh, talking foolish there like any of us could do. And he responded, though, in wisdom. And you see that there. So do not answer a fool according to his folly, lest you also be like him. Oh, it's four and five. There we go. Answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. And I think you see the difference. There's a time to not answer, and there's a time to answer. And be very discerning about that. And you need the Holy Spirit. But he who sends a message by the hand of a fool cuts off his own feet and drinks violence. <laughs> well, don't send somebody else to do your talking, especially when that person, or you're sending your messages, especially when that person is foolish and doesn't fear the Lord, right? Like the legs of the lamb or lame that hang limp is a proverb in the mouth of fools. In other words, proverbs in the mouth of fools do nothing. There's no ability to walk because they can't, by the Spirit, navigate that or they don't fear the Lord in any way. So a proverb wouldn't do them any good. They need salvation. Well, like one who binds a stone in a sling is he who gives an honor, gives honor to a fool. Isn't that crazy? You, you guys have seen those slings. They're that pouchy thing with the... Uh, you know, the straps that come together, you put the rock in there. Well, what this is saying is you wouldn't put a cover or like a rubber band over top of the rock in the pouch. You might, boom, you know, shoot it back at yourself or something. It, it does no good to put, uh, to contain a, uh, a rock in the pouch. Uh, and so it does no good to give honor to a fool. Now, think about that. How often have you honored a fool or have I honored a fool? And even sometimes, and I don't mean to be too pious here. I mean, you, you know, I mean, I, I understand the language of the world and so do you. Sometimes we say things like, well, you're certainly a good guy or you're a great girl or whatever you say. And I get it. I'm not asking you to be weird or um, inappropriate or... Um, uh, but but truthful, because the truth is none of us are good. You ever thought about that? None of us are good. And it's, without the Lord, the Bible tells us we're not good. No, not one of us. We're not righteous. Our hearts are deceptively wicked. Who could know it? It's a very slippery slope. And it says that the soul that sins shall surely die. And so there has to be a place in which we I get it. I'm not telling you not to tell people they're nice or anything like that. But but in the back of our minds, we have to remember that those outside of Christ, the Bible says, are children of wrath. And I don't say that in a spiritually uh, superior way. It's a sad thing. It's a thing that we want to share the gospel and love them and pray for them, and those sorts of things. 
Well, you keep going, and it says, uh, uh, like a thorn that goes into the hand of a drunkard is a proverb in the mouth of the fools. And that's another thing. I mean, if somebody's drunk and they're holding a thorn, you know, you can just imagine what a drunk person's going to do in their hands. They're going to scuff themselves up, and it's going to be no good, and they're going to injure themselves, right? Or they're going to injure somebody else. And that's a pretty drastic language to say, Proverbs don't do much good and could even be injurious in the mouth of people who don't have a relationship with God. And the great God who formed everything gives the fool his hire and the transgressor his wages. God's grace even covers the unbeliever, it says here. And as a dog returns to his own vomit, you've heard this before. It's because it's quoted in the New Testament. Did you know that? Peter quotes it in 2 Peter 2. I think it's verse 22. Uh, So a fool uh, repeats his folly. Foolish people won't change. You get that? Foolish people won't change. Uh, Foolish people, they might be able to self-discipline for a week or a month, but they're going back to it. And oh, by the way, when we live in our, you know, when we're walking not according to the Spirit, that could even, that could happen to us, right? So uh, the Bible here uses, or Solomon here uses, uh, really uh, strong language to talk about that. There's this thing in which they like, people like. It says in John that men like darkness. Did you know that? Outside of Christ, men like the darkness. We don't like to come out of the darkness. And the uh, fool repeats his folly. Now, do you see a man in his own eyes? Or do you see a man wise in his own eyes? Listen to this. He, he, he trumps everything here. He says, if somebody's wise in his own eyes, that person's worse than the fool. Now, if you go back up here and read what the fool's like, you're like, wait a minute. <laughs> There's more hope for a fool than for one who is prideful. There's more hope for a fool than one who is prideful. I have a quote here from uh, uh, Morgan again. I think they have it if they don't. Yeah. The peril is a very subtle one. We're prone to be wise in our own conceits without knowing that we are so. Did you catch that? A simple test may be employed. When we fail to seek divine guidance in any undertaking, it's because we don't feel our need of it. In other words, we are wise in our own conceit. There's no safer condition of soul than that of self-distrust, that knowledge of ignorance, which drives us persistently to seek for the wisdom which comes from above. Amen? Oh, man, that one's convicting right there. Morgan again. Well, now we shift and we go uh, to something else, the lazy person. The lazy man says there's a lion in the road. That's really funny to me because he's just making an excuse here. That's what this uh, thing is. Uh, or that's what the, the lesson is here in 13. A lazy man says, that, oh, there's a lion in the road. I live in West Elizabeth. There's a lion in the road. There's no lion. You just don't want to go outside, right, and do it. And so uh, a lazy man makes excuses or a, a fool makes excuses. And a fierce lion is in the street as a door. This is a, what a great picture. As a door turns on its hinges, so does the lazy man on his bed. What does a door do? Over and over again, it hinges, right? But listen, the door never goes anywhere. 
just turns over. Ding, ding, ding. That's what a lazy person's like, a fool. And the lazy man buries his hands in the bowl, but it wearies him to bring it back to his mouth. He's so lazy, he can't even put the potato chip in his mouth. That's what that's saying. And uh, that's true because, right, lazy people have a lack of initiative and energy in the Lord, right? And the lazy man is wiser in his own eyes than seven men who can answer sensibly. It's often the person who's not in the battle who thinks they know everything about the battle. It's not until you get into the battle of life where you start to learn the things. It's easy to talk from, you know, the couch, more difficult, or you understand that you need the Lord more when you're in the battle. I think that's what it's sort of saying to us. And he who passes by and meddles in a quarrel, not his own, is like one who takes a dog by the ears. It's dangerous to get involved in somebody else's fights. And a foolish person does do that. We do suffer, right? The Bible tells us we're going to suffer, we're going to have tribulation. But listen, as Christians, not as busybodies, I'm going to say that one again. You know, live peaceably and quiet. And here, it says, he who passes by like a busybody and quarrels is not his own, is like a dog, or is like one who takes a dog by the ears. That's a dangerous place to be. Like a madman who throws firebrands, arrows, and death. And the, the idea here is a foolish man can, or a person can, uh, do grand things, grand manipulative things to get people's attention is the man who deceives his neighbor. Like a madman who throws firebrands, arrows, and death is the man who deceives his neighbor and then says, and this is cruel, I was only joking. Boy, that one's convicting. Anybody here ever done that? I think I did it seven times today. It's talking about being sincere and not being cruel in some sort of practical joke, like moving people's car at a men's retreat. Had to get Xander on that one. Xander once moved Andy's car at a men's retreat, and when, <laughs> that's, that's the best practical joke I know of so far. <laughs> but anyway, uh, where there is no wood, the fire goes out. This is a very famous one, and where there is no tailbearer, strife seizes. If you, a, a gossiper, a one who t uh, bears tales, adds fuel to the fire of life. There's no place for it. If you just have no wood or fuel, gossiping or tailbearing, then a fire goes out. But if you're gossiping and spreading it, it will go everywhere. And you could see that in James 3, chapter, verse 6. It talks about our tongues being like a fire, a burning thing that can set people and burn and injure people. And so we have to really watch it. What's the litmus test for gossiping? That's easy. If you would say what you're saying right now to the person, if they were standing there, go for it. If you wouldn't, don't. I think that's it. And so that's a very powerful one. A wise person lets the uh, fire go out. A fool tries to stir it up or does stir it up as charcoal is to burning coals 
and wood to fire, so is a contentious man to kindle strife. There's another one. This is another thing that burns, is being contentious and always arguing for the sake of arguing. It's not that you can't have an opinion. You can have opinions, but not arguing or gossiping. Those make life and situations out of control and burn people and hurt people. What's interesting, though, the words of a talebearer are like tasty trifles. We read about this before. It's a repeat of, uh, of a proverb in chapter 18. We really like the gossip, though. It feels good. It tastes good. It's like those brownies I was telling you about a couple weeks ago. You know, you just can't get enough. You have one brownie. No, oh, amazing. One glass of milk. That's wonderful. But then it's, you know, five minutes later, you have to have two, or at least I do, until you get to the point where you're just sick. And then you say, I'm never having a brownie again. Well, then, you know, when your wife goes to bed, you sneak down and get two more or whatever. Right. And that's what this is like. It's that the words of a terror bearer are like tasty tribal. It's impossible to resist. That's what it's saying here. And they go down into the inmost body and they cause, listen, these words, these tail-bearing words cause deep, deep injury to people. It's a great warning. Wise people don't do that. He who hates disguises it with his lips and lays up deceit within himself. He who hates uh, disguises it with his lips and lays up deceit within himself. 24 here through 26 is talking about a person who's sort of a hater or um, a contentious person, but on the outside, they're very um, uh, friendly and polite. It reminds me of Leave It to Beaver. You remember Eddie Haskell and Leave It to Beaver? Who remembers that? Come on. Yes. All right. The old people all put their hand up, except Oh, not you. But anyway, <laughs> Eddie Haskell was so sugary sweet when mom and dad were around. But man, when he got Beaver alone or Eddie or what's the other guy's name? Whatever. Uh, Wally. When he got Wally and Beaver alone, man, he would just get him into all kinds of trouble. And that's what he's talking about. Here's one who's a hater, disguises it with, with lips and lays up deceit within himself. Man, so be a person who speaks sincerely, right? And when he speaks kindly, don't believe him. Don't believe him. Charming words might merely be things that cover up evil. You know what I'm saying? So uh, when he speaks kindly, don't believe him, for there are seven abominations in his heart or a full array of evil things that he's thinking Though his hatred is covered by deceit, his wickedness will uh, be revealed. So you got to know somebody, right? It's good to be, and and, and if you're this type of person, it's good to be authentic with people instead of always, you know, just smiley and, ah, I'm so perfect right now. And, you know, in your mind, but it's good just to be authentic with people. People dig and like authenticity, don't they? And when we're authentic with people, authentically loving them and authentically admitting, you know, where you're weak or where uh, the Lord's got victory in your life, but, you know, admitting the sort of things, but that resonates with people, I think. And then when that resonates with people, you create friendships, good, deep friendships. And the Bible even says, confess our sins one to another. And 
when we're authentic like that, then we can speak life into people's lives because they know that you're real, not just somebody standing up here, you know, posing and faking or wherever, you know, out on the streets. So I think that's what this is saying through this, uh, uh, through this um, uh, section. Well, watch this. Whoever digs a pit will fall into it, and he who rolls a stone will have it roll back on him. You know, judgment is coming upon lying people. Maybe not in this life, but it's coming. What's the great, I know somebody in here who's going to get this right. What's the great example of this in the Old Testament? Who? Okay, Jacob is a good one. But I was thinking Haman. He prepared the gallows and then got hung on, hung on them. Remember him? And he was doing some evil things. Well, and uh, a lying tongue hates those who are crushed by it. And a flattering mouth works ruins. That's interesting. A flattering or a lying tongue hates those who are crushed by it. And a flattering mouth works ruins. Well, let's think about this. Uh, one pastor says this when it comes to the difference between encouragement and flattery. We're to be people who encourage and exhort and say the truth, but we're not to be, according to the proverb, people of flattery. So what's the difference? Uh, encouragement is when somebody talks with integrity to build others up and to acknowledge what the Lord is doing in the other person's life. Encouragement and uh, integrity are concerned about the other person. But here's the weird thing about flattery. Flattery is I want you to think well of me. I'm putting on a show and being nice so that you'll like me. Who here is a people pleaser? I'm raising my hand. And you're doing it to sort of manipulate the situation. You're not really concerned with them. You're concerned with you. And so, um, lying versus encouragement. I have another quote up here uh, from a guy named Garrett. Lying is an act of hatred. You ever thought of it that way? Whoa. Lying is an act of hatred. In one way or another, lies destroy those whom they deceive. Lies destroy those whom they deceive. Therefore, the liar despises not only the truth, but his victims as well. Wow. Encouraging us to be straight shooters, right? And to uh, tell the truth. Well, you get here into chapter uh, 27 and it says this, don't boast about tomorrow. Don't boast about tomorrow. Uh, for you don't know what a day may bring forth. If you would turn with me, remember I told you my son Cade busted me on this a couple months ago. Uh, he was, uh, we were talking, it was, uh, it was early September and I was getting so pumped to go to Colorado. And I said, ah, Cade, this time next week, I'll be in Colorado hiking. And he said, uh, don't boast about tomorrow, dad. And, uh, <laughs> he actually quoted, uh, this scripture here in James chapter four. Look at this 13 through 16. Come now, you who say today or tomorrow. We'll go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell and make profit, or go to Colorado, whereas you don't know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? It's even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. 
Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. But now you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. That's the brother of the Lord telling us in the New Testament, commenting on this same thing. Don't boast about tomorrow. Planning is certainly okay. Who here loves to plan? Oh, really? I didn't raise my hand on that one. But planning is certainly okay, but it's not uh, being presumptuous about what we're going to do tomorrow. We don't know. And it's an encouragement here, I think, too, to enjoy this day. Be present in the moment. Don't be thinking about something else. Oh, Christmas is coming. I can't wait to get together with da-da-da-da-da. Well, what about today? Enjoy today, too. It's something that God has given you or me. Let another man or woman praise you and not your own mouth. Boy, it's good to keep yourself from self-promotion, isn't it? It's sort of a way in which we can steal the glory of God. Let another man praise you, not your own mouth, a stranger and not your own lips. How about this one? A stone is heavy and sand is weighty, but a fool's wrath is heavier than both of them. This is rough. Generally, foolish people, generally, remember, these are general statements, uh, ones who don't respect the Lord or respect God can be very wrathful. They express wrath. It's dangerous. And uh, that's not surprising. Uh, and it's heavier than sand, and it's very weighty. And wrath is cruel, and anger is a torrent. But he, who is able to stand before jealousy? Amen, right? I mean, jealousy is a good thing in one sense. We're so thankful for our God, who's a jealous God, who wants nothing but the best for us. And, of course, if you happen to be married, there's a good sort of jealousy. I mean, certainly, you don't want your spouse dating this person or that. You have one in mind, and uh, they have one in mind for you. But there's also a bad jealousy, and you know all about that, and it can get you know, out of control and violent very fast. In fact, uh, if you study the criminal law in Pennsylvania or any state, by the way, it's so out there that they've built in crimes that are crimes of passion, etc., which is really saying, for a different way of saying, jealous crimes, you know. And there's different uh, penalties for such. They recognize it even out in the world. Well, now we get to friendships. Who likes friendships? Friendships can be really refreshing, can't they? They can be really refreshing. And this one is going to, these few are going to tell us a way in which to be friends that not many people think about. Are you really friends if you can't tell your friend the truth? And here it says open rebuke. Can you imagine? Hey man, let's, uh, let's go hunting or golfing today and I'd like you to, you know, when we're driving in the cart, uh, rebuke me. Because we're friends. I want to take you to lunch and hopefully you're going to rebuke me today. Not many people say it that way, but here, when you find a friend who you can share with and love and communicate with and You know, that friend has their thing and you have your thing, but it's also healthy and wonderful. You can encourage and love and emphasize the good things about somebody, but you could also, in a great friendship, point out people's blind spots or give constructive criticism. 
But it takes two, you know. Some people are just so nice, they'd never say anything. But the people receiving the criticism are so fractured by it that they can't receive the criticism. There has to be this thing that you pray about. I always say, find a friend who can tell you the truth. In order to be told the truth, though, you can't fly off the handle. Now, when you tell somebody the truth as a friend, how do you do it? Well, you do it circumspectly. You take the, yeah, you, Kai's going like this. But you take the, you take the, the, the log out of your own eye before you wipe the speck out of somebody else's eye. And it isn't, you know, love covers a multitude of sins. If your friend, you know, took your parking spot, you don't have to tell them the 10 ways that they've sinned against you today and how horrible they are. Right? But uh, but on the same token, uh, there's this prayerful, loving way in which you can help each other grow in the Lord by telling the truth. Amen? You're going to tell a lot about a friendship by the way in which people respond and by the way in which people tell these things and vice versa. You get it? But here the Bible says open rebuke is better than love carefully concealed. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. You can have kind friendships if you want, but if it's just kind and kind and kind and kind and kind, even, you know, when you're off doing some unbelievable sinful thing, then how is that helping us grow? Real friends love one another no matter what, tell each other the truth, exhort one another, encourage one another, and build one another up. That's what they do. And the Bible says that wise people have friends like that. Now, men, I don't know about the ladies, I've never been a lady, but men, we're not very good about this. We just want to stay on our own island. (laughs) Say hi over the fence and go do our thing. Yet the Bible calls us here in a few minutes, iron sharpens iron. When you're iron sharpening iron, I've got news for you. It's going to take rubbing together, <laughs> whatever, tools that, you know, take off the edge or sharpen it up, excuse me, sharpen up the thing, and it's going to take sparks. That's just the way it is, going through the wars together. Well, how about this? A satisfied soul loathes the honeycomb. You know, when people get so filled up, nothing tastes good to them, right? Who, who is going to deny a honeycomb? Nobody. But to a hungry soul, don't you love this? Come on now. But to a hungry soul, every bitter thing, every bitter thing, they don't complain. They'll eat whatever. They don't care. Oh, this, this, I won't say it. (laughs) I'll get in trouble. I don't feel like being in trouble today. I mean, we worship with ties on. We have a jeans on. We have a t-shirt on. We have a, a suit on. You know. You just go and do whatever the Lord puts in front of you. But a satisfied soul, one who's all filled up, hates even the good things. But a hungry soul will grab anything yeah, that's even bitter and count it as sweet. And I think we have a... Oh, I think, you know, even in the life of a person that's a Christian or a corporately as a church, I think this can happen to us. You know what? I'm so blessed by what's been happening in our fellowship over the last two months. 
just even just two days of it, I feel like this is an amazing thing. We've been going all this time and filling up on the Word, and we should fill up on the Word. It's how the Lord changes our life. But at some point, we can't just consume all the time. Amen? We need to go out and serve and to love and to find the lonely and the lost and those who are, you know, the uh, outcasts of society and pray for them and love them. And I feel like just even this little sliver of going downtown to Pittsburgh in the last two months is sort of our way of exercising what we're consuming. Now, others are doing things too. I mean, there's some faithful people here who every Monday night, rain or shine, 5.30, Northside, just they're out there serving. Uh, there's other people doing lots of other things. I recognize it. But as a corporate uh, body here, to be able to go down there together and to have people pray. You see, the... Um, uh, the um, uh, solution for being filled up too much to where you don't even like the good stuff, being so comfortable and so full in the wrong way is to go and exercise it out. And I think service is that thing, is to obey whatever the Lord's calling you to. What is the Lord calling you to? Is He calling you to this ministry or that ministry. Don't don't just come all the time. Wherever you go to church, don't just come and consume. Bless others. Bless the Lord. Walk it out. And you know what's interesting? Uh, I find that, or I think that this uh, proverb is saying, you might even be start becoming like ho-hum about the book of John. Or, uh, oh, he's doing Ecclesiastes. I mean, I've done Ecclesiastes three times. Second Peter, I can't believe, I can't listen through, sit through another thing in Second Peter. And then you go out and serve. And all of a sudden, the word comes back alive to you because you're exercising it out in the world. You get it? And this, I think, is a beautiful, wonderful proverb to warn us that a satisfied soul loves, loathes the honeycomb, but a hungry soul, every bitter thing is sweet. I thought I even had a quote about this. Do I have a quote about this, Gabe? Yeah. Sweet is liberty to the captive, and when the sun makes you free, you're free indeed. Sweet is pardon to the condemned and proclaims full forgiveness and salvation. Sweet is health to the sick, and Jesus is the great physician of souls. Sweet is light to those who are in darkness and to eyes that are dim, and Jesus is both sun to our darkness, and eyes to our blindness. Amazing. Charles Spurgeon, he comments on that. Like a bird that wanders from its nest, in other words, out of safety, is a man who wanders from his place. Find your place in life. Where is the Lord asking you to serve? Find that place. You don't have to run around to everybody else's place. i got to tell you guys, you don't see me in the building ministry. Why? Because I can't build. I have no talent, gift, anything. But there's amazing guys in this church, gals too, who can build and do things. That's amazing. Find your place and don't wander from it. Keep going at it. Ointment and perfume delight the heart, and the sweetness of a man's friend gives delight by hearty counsel. Isn't it awesome to find a friend who always is refreshing 
and just lights up your life and has a sweet smell when they come around. Don't you want to have a sweet smell when you go around your friends? Not just because you need a shower, but also just because of the countenance and the thing that you delivered to the friend. And you want friends like that. Be a friend like that by the power of the Spirit. Men, we, you know, we come around and say weird things like loser and you're, you know, get rid of that, I guess. And be sweet to one another in a good way. Don't forsake your own friend or your, even your father's friend. Make sure longtime friends stay longtime friends, nor go to your brother's house in the day of your calamity. Better as a neighbor nearby than a brother far away. Treat your friends like family. My son, be wise and make my heart glad. He's appealing to the honor of his father, or honor of a son for a father, that I may answer him who reproaches me. People are going to look at your family. You catch this? You're going to have opportunities to share the gospel by your family, the things that have happened in your family. Somebody's going to try and reproach you, or maybe they're going to compliment you or whatever, and you're going to have opportunities We're all, in other words, a trophy of grace. Did you catch this? Your family is shouting the gospel to the world. Wow. A a wise man foresees evil, hides himself. The simple pass on and are punished. You have an ability to discern when tough times or evil things are coming and stay away. Take the garment of him who is surety for a stranger. And hold it in pledge when he's surety for a seductress. Just be careful around people who have a bad credit history or a bad... It's actually saying that right there in an ancient way. He who blesses his friend with a loud voice rising early in the morning. You early risers. It will be counted a curse to him. This is the idea here is that somebody's getting up in the morning and being real loud and boisterous to make themselves... The show. Ever had somebody like that? Whether it's in the morning or wherever, it's always about them and they're talking loud, manipulating and doing things. That's not good, it says here. And a continual dripping on a very rainy day and a contentious woman are alike. And, uh, uh, you know, a dripping from the roof is a problem that leads to a lot of damage, right? Isn't that what that says? And... Um, That's what, uh, you know, spouses are like when they're continually. What's so funny? (laughs) Let me finish my sentence before you laugh. (laughs) That's what spouses can be like when they continually are, you know, nagging or doing this or etc. And contentious woman or a man can be like that drip, you see. That the home's supposed to be a place of refuge and building up. Whoever restrains her restrains the wind. I want you to catch this. Let's say you're having problems with your wife or vice versa. The wife's having problems with the husband. Do you know what this is saying right here? I want everybody in here. Shout it from the rooftops. It's saying you can't fix her or him. Look in verse 16. Whoever restrains her restrains the wind. You got some problem with your wife or your husband, whatever. And I legitimately, there are problems, yes, but you can't control the other person. It's saying it right there. Instead, why wouldn't you do this? Try to love the other like Jesus loves the church. If you're the husband, of course. 
And then as iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friend. And again, that takes rubbing together and being sometimes tough with one another and being construct, you know, criticizing constructively. Well, as we move on here, let me just run down. You could read 18 through 22. I'm going to do 23. Be diligent to know the state of your flocks. Who are you shepherding in the right way? Who? Who? You shepherding a family? You shepherding your uh, uh, niece or nephew, your grandkids? Uh, are you shepherding some people at work? What are you doing? The Bible says be diligent. Know what's going on with your flocks, not in some sort of CIA way, but work hard to know the state of what is going on for them so that you can give the care that is needed. In other words, be a, an expert. You know, I don't know about you, but on Sunday night, and I don't even watch the games anymore, on Sunday night, if you ask me who won every NFL game, I'm going to be able to tell you. You know why? Because I'm going to watch ESPN. And uh, I'm going to get it in about five minutes, ten minutes, and there's this thing in my brain. I can remember how many passing yards somebody had or how many turnovers. I can tell you the scores. And I haven't even watched the game. And I'm, what I'm being is an expert in the NFL. And what this is saying here is being expert in the people that you're to shepherd. Hmm. I can spend 10 minutes and know all this about sports. Can I take the time to make sure I have my finger on the pulse of what's going on in my own family, if that's what you're shepherding, or work or whatever? And attend to your herds, for riches are not forever, nor does a crown endure to all generations. When the hay is removed and the tender grass shows itself and the herbs of the mountains are gathered in, the lambs will provide your clothing. The people who you are shepherding, wherever it is, are the most valuable thing, is what this is saying. Pay attention to them. It's not the output so much. It's the people. Isn't that incredible? And the goats, the price of a field. You shall have enough goats milk for your food. And what it's saying is the things that you want will sort of flow from that if you attend to the sheep or the people. Incredible. Good word for the pastors. Good word for business owners. Good word for moms and dads, grandma and grandpas, or friends or whatever. And let's do this as we bow our heads. Let's pray that the Lord would help us to walk these things out. So, Lord, we come here tonight and ask that you would bless us, uh, give us the resource and the strength to do these things. Lord, not just to listen to them. Let's do them. But we need your help. We need your strength. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.